Well, good morning. I brought the snow with me. In my dreams, I brought it with me. It's hot over there. This is nice. I know you guys are probably cursing this weather, but I'm not. It's nice. It's wonderful to be back. Um, It's my church family for some of you. I've been gone for three years, and for some of you, um, if if you're new, like in the last three years, Welcome to my family. Um, this is a wonderful church. So thankful for this church and thankful for you and thankful for Pastor Eric and all those on staff and, and uh, to allow me to come back and give an update. And um, a lot's happening over in Uganda and it's moving so rapidly, so quickly. It's, uh, when I come back, people are like, so what are you doing? And uh, yeah, I'm a chicken farmer now. I know. And uh, I'm, I'm processing sunflower oil to sell to the community. Uh, it's, it's a little strange for people. And so it, but the mission is moving forward. The medical clinic is just taking off. Uh, the school of discipleship is just really everything that I thought and plus more. And so thank you for your prayers and all those who are on our prayer list and our email. I'd love to get you on it if you're not on it. And uh, I came back for two reasons. The first reason was to update the church and to let them know what's going on. And we are expanding. We're rapidly expanding. And we have uh, 49 pastors that we pay for to come to our school. We feed them. We transport them. We give them their, their Bibles. We give them the curriculum. We even pay them a small stipend because I have them literally one quarter of their life for three years. They come in on a Sunday and they leave on a Saturday after their test. And some of these people are only making $3 a day at most. And so for them to take off one week every month, one quarter of their life when they make that, to be away from their work is a big deal. And so we feel like it's only right if we can then reward their faith a little bit. But we just don't give it to them. Just to be nice, we give it to them. And there's accountability that goes with that. You show up on time. To school, and that's not a big deal here, but there, time is not a factor. And so they could, I mean, noon is 11 to 3. Um, and so anytime with that sun somewhere around here is with noon, you know, and so we say you have to show up on time, you have to have your homework done, and you have to pass your test. And if you're not doing those three things, then we can start cutting back on that stipend a little bit because I tell them, your payment and all of this that's happening is from our supporters back home, and they trust me that I'm going to monitor this stuff and, 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 and do it well and do it right. And so they stepped up. They're stepping up. They're all passing the tests. They all show up on time, you know, and they're getting the homework done and they're learning. And so thank you for supporting and helping with that. And so with 49 pastors, you can imagine all that's going on there. In our medical clinic, we're seeing roughly five, or 450 patients every month, 45 to 60 births every month. It's a lot of births coming into our, it's a lot of life that's happening in our clinic. Um, It's an inpatient and outpatient medical clinic. We do x-rays, we have ultrasound machine, and so these people can really find some good care. And we have a chaplain on staff that gives them spiritual care as well as we have physical care going on. So it's a wonderful touch point for the community and a way for us to really build the bridge and love them for Christ. And uh, the farm is just going wonderfully. Um, I mean, people are bringing in sunflower seed and maize, all the local farmers. We give them a fair rate. We have honest scales. We'll pay them what it's worth. And then we turn around and process it and then sell it. And then 
we keep on reinvesting it and reinvesting it. So like Sean said, by 2022, this thing, 2020, yeah, 2022, this thing has really taken off. Is that right? Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Um, we are completely self-sustaining. And I would love to be able to, at the end of 2022, to be able to tell supporters, if you want to give, that's great, we'll use it. But if you have another ministry that you want to bless, feel free to move it over. Because we're really, I'm telling you, this is one of our charters, we really think that we can use the resources on the ground to pull this ministry off and do it. And I think that's the right thing. And for long-term growth and sustainability, I feel like it's the right thing to do. And so that's our, that's our mission. But in the meantime, we still need supporters. And as you can imagine, we have a staff of 30 Ugandans paying their insurance, paying their salaries. And for some of them, we're feeding 49 pastors and what's going on at the farm. So the budget can be a little bit high right now as we're investing and investing. So if you can come along board and just say, hey, $35 a month, $50 a month, anything would be a blessing and help. You can do that by signing up out at the table. And uh, if you have questions, please let me know. Okay? Um, some of you are like, where's your family? And my family is back in Uganda. And um, again, one of the reasons why I came back is for to update you and give you guys a, a praise report, but also I have to find, I have to see my dad in Indiana, so I'm going to be traveling a lot here. My dad has dementia, and he was just diagnosed with it this, this year, and so I'm going to go back because it's going, it's pretty rapid. And so if you can please pray for him, his name is Norman, and he doesn't know the Lord, and I would love to be able to just share Christ with him again, and hopefully he would receive that. And so I, hopefully I can get on a plane here, and the weather doesn't stop me. I can get on a plane after the second service, and I'm heading to Indiana for the week. And so my family, here's a picture of my family back home, and when we left, we had three children. We've expanded by two. Uh, we have adopted two children, Raymond and Gracie, and I think they're watching right now live. It is 6.40 in the evening in Uganda, and they're watching this live right now. And so, so what a joy it is to be able to adopt these children. They're our children. That's my son and my daughter. And they're trying to fit into the family, and we're trying to figure this whole thing out. And what a joy it is to to bring them, and hopefully by May, we have their visa situation worked out to where as a whole family, we can come back home and you guys can meet them. And we would love for them to meet you as well. And my wife, she sends greetings back with me to say hello to you all. And so let's get in the word. And I'm gonna, you know, as I teach, I'm going to blend the message in with what's going on and give an update at the same time. And so let's go ahead and turn to Mark chapter four. Father, I, as, I, as I hear pages turning, I'm praying in the name of Jesus over today in this service. Would you speak to me? Would you fill me with your spirit? And would it make clear what we're doing and why we're doing it and how we even here can live our lives on a daily basis, not walk in fear, but walk in power? Today I ask that the spirit be among us and give us understanding. Jesus, I just, uh, I just pray that uh, lives are changed, and if there's somebody here that's struggling, going through a storm, that you would just do something in their life today to get them through, that you provide that peace. And I pray over Uganda and what's going on there, and uh, that we can be more involved, even from our church back home. How do we do this? How do we reach this place? And so, Father, just speak through me in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 4 of Mark 
35. I'm going to read two stories, the wind and the waves, and then the demoniac getting saved. Okay? On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. So they're on the Sea of Galilee, and he puts them in the boat, and they're going to go to the other side. And now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and on the other little boats were also with him. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind and the sea. He said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. Not a small calm. I want to point that out. It was a great storm. Now it's a great calm after he spoke to it. But he said to them, why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? And then they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gadarenes. And when he had come out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who has had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one could bind him, not even with chains, because he had often been bound with shackles and chains. And the chains had been pulled apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces. Neither could anyone tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying out and cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and worshipped him. He cried out with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God that you do not torment me. For he said to him, Come out of the man, unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? And he answered, saying, My name is Legion, for we are many. Also, he begged him earnestly that he would not send them out of the country. Now a large herd of swine was feeding there near the mountains. So all the demons begged him, saying, Send us to the swine, that we may enter them. And at once Jesus gave them permission. Then the unclean spirits went out and entered the swine. And there were about 2,000. And the herd ran violently down the steep place and into the sea and drowned in the sea. So those who fed the swine fled, and they told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that had happened. And then they came to Jesus and saw the one who had been demon-possessed and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who saw it told them, how it happened to him, and who had been demon-possessed, and about the swine. And they began to plead with Jesus to depart from their region. And when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and began to proclaim in the Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him, and all marveled. These two stories go together. 
They were intended to go together. They were written by, in order of, by Mark, so it is a storyline for us to understand something that's happening here. And so when I, in our school of discipleship with our 49 pastors, I mean, we teach them how to interpret scripture with scripture. And so we get to this point right here and say, how do you interpret this? How do you apply it to your life? But what is God trying to do to the disciples? What is Jesus doing and what are we supposed to take away from it? And one of the things we tell them is exactly what Jesus tells us is he came to fulfill the law and the prophets. He wasn't doing random miracles. He wasn't doing, saying random teachings. He had a specific purpose. And his purpose was to prove that he was the Messiah, the Christ, the one from the Old Testament, the law and the prophets. And that's why when even you read about the road of Emmaus and those two guys were walking with him and he just did the best Bible study on the planet. He just explained himself through the law and the prophets. And we, so we explain, we, we say to him, well, how do you interpret this thing here? And, they, and you know what? Especially the students that have been in the school for two and a half years, they can, they can sit down and they can say, this is how this thing works through the scriptures here. And so what Jesus is doing to them is intentional. And people don't like that sometimes because to be thrown into the middle of a storm where they felt like, and they're, a lot of them were fishermen. This is their place of, of work. They know the Sea of Galilee. It's where they earn an income. And he throws them out there in the evening in the dark, and he puts them out there, and he allows the windstorm to rise to a level where it's beating on the boats and water is pouring into them. This is the sovereignty of God right now that's happening. He's trying to teach them something. And they're shoveling that water out, and they're afraid. They feel like they're going to perish, they say to Jesus. And Jesus is where? He's sleeping on the boat Why this is going on. And then they say to him, they wake him up. You can just picture this in your mind. Huh? They have to wake him up. He said, don't you care we're dying? And he stands up, and he speaks to the winds and the waves, and he says three words, peace, be still. And then a great calm happens. Like you, you could just picture the sea would turn to almost like glass. A great calm appears. The wind stops and the waves stop. And you think the disciples would be like, all right, look at who's in our boat. This is amazing. I'm going to keep him around. But they don't. What is their emotion? Now they are exceedingly fearful. Why would they be exceedingly fearful in the calm when they thought they were perishing? And they say to themselves, who could this be? Well, even the wind and the waves obey him. And then they're realizing, and what Jesus is intentionally doing to them is saying, I have to prove to you that I am the Messiah, the one from the old. So you can trust me because you know what? I am going to take you after I ascend to heaven. I'm going to drop that Holy Spirit upon you, and then you're going to go out into a dark world, and you're going to have to rely upon me. You, these waves, now for... To understand the scripture, these waves mean something, especially to a Hebrew. To these Hebrew men and the, the readers of this, 
they know what the waves represent. The waves represent, this is, they're not good in a sense. The darkness is not good. The waves, it, it, so interpreting scripture as scripture, what we do with our pastors is we start in Genesis chapter 1, and we start developing the concept and the theme so we can roll the storyline out. Because what is amazing is, is God from the beginning is letting us know that there will be a dark world, but there is hope. There is, there is something that defeats this darkness. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And there the spirit was hovering over the waters, and then God speaks and says what? Let there be light. And there was light, and it was good. Why would God create a world that wasn't good in the beginning? Because that word that says without form and void, it means chaos and confusion. It means emptiness and the darkness. It means you can't see. And what he created was this blob of earth, watery earth, with no meaning to it at first. And it was in confusion. It was in chaos. You couldn't tell which direction you would go if you were on it. And then he says, to eliminate that, you have the spirit hovering over the whole thing. And then, the word, then the, God speaks the word, and then boom, there's light. Now, we know what that light is, right? Because now we're, we're Bible scholars. We know from 2 Corinthians and then at the end of Revelation, it says the light is the Lamb of God. You realize the sun's not even created until day four in the Genesis account. So we know, and Paul says it in Corinthians, that light was Jesus. So you have that trinity. It's right there. And he's telling us that there is going to be a world that is dark and confusing, but God is going to send his light into the world. And then what we find out as the story develops is he's going to use me and you to eliminate this confusion because we are going to now be the light in the world. And we are going to get out in the world and we're going to enter into a dark, confusing, chaotic world where some people feel like there's no hope, but there is hope. And he, he wants us to glorify him as we, with the Spirit, go out, hover over this dark world, this mess, this confusion, and get out and proclaim his name. From the beginning, and this is what we, we start with our pastors, you have to have a biblical worldview. Because you have the Ugandan worldview, I come in with my American worldview, but at the end of the day, we have to have a biblical worldview on how to interpret life. That's why when you go ahead and turn to Revelation chapter 4, we'll see how this whole thing ends. All right, Revelation chapter 4. I'm going to start... Now, if you're brand new to the scriptures, Revelation has yet to come. We're waiting for it. It's a prophecy that we're waiting for. And I'm going to read starting in verse 2, and I'm going to go down to 6. It says, Immediately I, meaning John, was in the Spirit. And behold, a throne set in heaven, one set on that throne. And he who sat there was like Jasper and Sardis stone in appearance. And there was a rainbow, point that out, there was a rainbow around the throne and the appearance like an emerald. 
Around the throne were 24 elders, or 24 thrones, and on the thrones I saw 24 elders sitting clothed in white robes, and they had crowns of gold on their heads, and from the throne proceeded lightnings and thunders and voices. Seven lamps of fire were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Behold the throne, there was a sea of glass like crystal, and in the midst of the throne, around the throne, were four living creatures full of eyes in the front and in the back. So what, what John is seeing, as he's caught up in the spirit, he goes and he sees the Jesus sitting there, and around it was a rainbow, around the throne, and he says, before the throne was like a sea of glass, like crystal. And what imagery are we trying to grasp here? That there is zero confusion at the throne of God. There is zero waves. There's not a ripple at the throne of God. And that rainbow is the symbol of the Noahic covenant. It's the covenant of peace. There is peace and understanding at the throne of God. You see what the, what these, the, 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 the writers of the scriptures do. They're using imagery to tell us and teach us truth. And when I'm talking to our, our pastors about this, they're, they're just, wow, you, you are changing the way we think through scripture. And all we're doing is reading scripture and interpreting it like this. And they're just gaining this knowledge. And so now they have power when they read this. It's like, look, this land up in the north for 35 years was in war, starting with Idi Amin. And it didn't stop until around 2007 and 2008. And it ended with 20 years of Joseph Coney at the helm of the Lord's Resistance Army, taking child soldiers, stripping people, kids from their families, burning houses, burning huts, taking people, that many fr some friends that have been taken as child soldiers. I'll talk about one here in a second. And they're getting back into life. Could you just imagine the aftermath of a people after 35 years of war? Do you think they have peace in their heart? Many of them have a certain level of PTSD. A whole, a whole northern region could have it because of what has happened. And here's the situation that we have on the ground right now. Because of the war, there wasn't much going into and much investment going into the north. But after the war ended, evangelism just came through. People were getting saved all over the place. Hundreds and hundreds of churches just sprouted up. But the problem we have are the pastors that are leading those churches. I'm being generous with this statistic. Say 95% of the pastors, specifically in the north, have zero Bible training whatsoever. And how are they supposed to then confront and handle these issues that this confusion, this turmoil, this depression that people feel. And I'm telling you, when you go there, they're so joyful. They are amazing people. But if you just scratch the surface after you live with them for a little bit, what comes out? Jealousy, envy, depression, and all sorts of stuff that you would just expect. It's a place where polygamy is still legal. Could you, then that has a whole different element of problems. So you have orphans, you have widows. And then who is to then go and bring peace to these people? who are living in a storm. And Jesus is saying, it's these people I'm sending out, these pastors, these leaders, the apostles, 
they're the ones that make sense of it. And so as our school goes forth, we are just like, at the end of the day, these passions that I have are on the front lines, and they're the ones that we have to equip to go to war to where we can help these places rebound and help people know who the true Christ is and not this prosperity gospel that's just running rampant, and it runs rampant in third world countries because everybody wants to be rich because everybody's poor. And our guys have to be able to stand in the gap. And so what this looks like, this story is, is like, I'm going to send you out into a storm. Now let me give you an example of what it looks like in a personal storm. And he takes them on the other side of that sea. It was a divine appointment. Not only for that, that demon-possessed man, but also for the disciples. Because they're going to run into evil in the world. And so he runs, they go, and they see this man, and he, they even tried to shackle him. He's breaking the shackles. He's breaking the chains. He's howling at night. He's cutting himself with stones, which is unfortunate. It's sort of an epidemic today with our youth, isn't it? They cut themselves. If you're a youth, I don't know if you're here or not, what's going on, but think about what we're doing before we start cutting ourselves. What spirit is that that's causing that? He's cutting himself with stones, and nobody wants to be around him. Everybody knows he's the man with the demons, the legion. Jesus says, and what happens here, this is remarkable. As Jesus is out of the boat, now the disciples are like, man, what is going on? This is the craziest boat ride you could ever possibly imagine. And then here comes this crazy man. You picture this in your head, right? She's probably running to him, and he bows down, and the demon starts speaking. What do you have to do with me? The demons bowing, making that man bow. And Jesus says, what's your name? And the man has to answer. The demon has to answer because every name, every tongue will confess your Jesus is Christ because he's so powerful, right? The demon has nothing on Jesus. The darkness has nothing on the light. And he says, this, would you spare my life? Throw me into the pigs. And there's a lot of pigs. I don't know if we're going to get to 2,000 pigs in our project here. That's a lot of swine. That's a lot of groceries going off that cliff. A lot of bacon at one time heading off that cliff. 2,000, the demons, and they drowned. And everybody is like, what on earth is going on? And what was the most remarkable thing about the whole thing is when everybody came, they saw that legion, that man with the legion, sitting there in his right mind. This man that is the epitome of chaos and confusion and fear. The epitome of darkness, hanging out with death in the tombs. Yet he's standing in his right mind. What are the disciples supposed to take from this? What are we supposed to take from this? That Jesus is the peace. He is the one that's going to destroy darkness. These waves, this confusion in life, whatever it is, it could be about missionaries going out and getting imprisoned like those in China right now, or just in Yemen or wherever it is. Or it could be just us personally, what we're going through. What storm are we going through? It's just across the board. Does Jesus have the power to bring peace? And that's the message that we have here. That there's peace at his throne and there's peace with the spirit of God. And when we have the word of God and we have the spirit of God, now we are effective in going out and handling issues that people are dealing with. Whether it's divorce, whether it's death, 
or whether it's just standing in front of opposition and just speaking the truth and not being afraid of even the craziest demon man that comes across your path. It's Christ who is our peace, nothing else. There's nothing else that's going to bring peace. Psychology may work to a point, but at the end of the day, what the scripture, if we have a biblical worldview, it's Christ. He is our cornerstone. He is everything to us, and that's what he was trying to drag his disciples across that sea and expose this. If I kept reading, you would talk about how just in the next, the next passage, how there's a woman with blood for 12 years who had no peace, who was ostracized in the Jewish community. And he brings her peace because she just touched the robe. And then he goes and brings peace to Jairus' house. It's really remarkable if you keep reading this. It's Jesus that's our answer. And the only thing that's going to bring peace in northern Uganda is the scriptures. Pastors who are equipped, armed with the scriptures. And at the end of the day, and I love it, there's a song that they sing and, it, and it, it goes something like, Satan, you're a loser, and we are winners because we have Jesus. And the whole song is about calling Satan a loser. <laughs> and they all get into it, singing, Satan's a loser. And they're just in it, and I love it. It's so childish in the sense of something that you would think our kids would sing in youth group and stuff like that. But I love it that at the end of the day, Satan's a loser. He's a big one. He has no power over those in Christ. These, these, these things bow to him. Let me tell you a story, a testimony. Can I tell you a testimony about this? So one day I was walking through the clinic. And I was doing the rounds, just kind of looking through to see how the rooms were and everything. And I, and I look into one room and I peek into it. And I look and there's a nurse in there. And his name is Emmanuel. We call him Emma. And I look, and there's this lady on the bed on her back, just her head just moving, and she's seething in pain, just, just even making noise. Ah, just going back. Her eyes were closed. She just could not stand it. I said, Emma, what's going on? Like, I don't know. She's, she has the symptoms of typhoid, but we're not sure. This, the test that we have here is like 50% accuracy, so that's, a, that's what we're trying to treat her with, but it's really not working. So I was like, okay, let's, let's go in. I'm going to pray for her. I walk up to her in her bed. And, I, and I, I touch her arm, and she's really hot to the touch. She has a fever. And I say, can I pray for you? But she just couldn't do anything but just shake her head. And I start praying for her. As soon as I say the name of Jesus, all hell breaks loose. And she's flipping out, shaking, screaming. And after about, I'm just praying. I was like, all right. They don't teach you this stuff in seminary. What do I do? And now all I can do is pray. And I'm and praying, and she starts standing up now, just shaking and screaming. And I look at Emma, he's a tall guy, big. And I say, Emma, I don't think this is a medical condition. And he's like, I don't think so either. And, and somehow we, Emma gets her down. He's a big, strong guy. We get her down. She kind of calms down. She kind of calms down. And she's actually been able, then she started able to answer. She speaks in a Choli, so I have to have a translator. I say, what, what is going on? What's happening? She says, I come to clinics all the time. They try to treat me with medicine, but the problem is, is the demon. The demon visits me every night. And I'm thinking of scriptures, like, well, Jesus asked the name. Like, what's the name? And I remember this. This has happened six months ago. 
And I'll, I'll always remember this. She says, the name is Bacchus. That's the name of this demon. It's like, how do you get this? And she's like, my husband is a witch, do- witch doctor. So I don't know the whole story on all of that. So I invited my friend Ryan, who was visiting. I said, Ryan, let's go pray for this girl. So he comes in the room. I didn't really tell him what was going on. <laughs> Surprise. <laughs> and we start praying. And then again, she starts shaking. And I'm holding her, kind of like pinned her down, just kind of like holding her close, right? So she stopped. And all I could do was pray the scriptures that are here. I said, God, you are the one who calms the storm in the water. And you were the one that brought those disciples over and that demon bowed. And you, this, this demon has zero power over you. For five, ten minutes, I don't know how long, we were praying. And then I could just feel her stop shaking. And she just kind of melted into my arm and just fell asleep. Went from that pain, seething pain, 20 minutes prior to falling asleep in peace. Like that over the name of Jesus. Now, we read this, sometimes we don't believe this stuff. And we don't necessarily see it a lot around here. But believe me, he's on the move. Spurgeon says he's, Satan's the master angler. He knows exactly which bait to use to catch his fish. Here, there's, there's really open to the spiritual realm. And you sort of see this every so often. Not every day I do, I run into this. But every so often. I believe it, and it was the scriptures that I was praying, and it was the scripture that I was remembering in that time where I had nothing else, and that's what it was that calmed that storm. Do we believe it? We believe in the Holy Spirit. Do we also believe in the other? We have to, and we're the ones who are armed with the best. For our weapons are not carnal, but they're mighty in God. For tearing down these strongholds, Paul says. And this is what we're trying to equip our pastors to go out on the front lines and say, you know what? We're going to stand up and proclaim the truth. So I have a picture of a man. I'm going to show you this quick testimony of two people. Um, this first guy, is, his name is Stephen. I've known Stephen since 2010. I've been discipling him when I was going over doing short-term trips. He's been in our school for two and a half years. I actually brought him on staff at Terebinth. He is now our clinic chaplain. After that occurrence, I said, Stephen, will you please help? He's like, yes, I'll help. You can visit her, pray for her, and, and maybe even go visit her at her house. That's why we hired him, to do spiritual care, not just physical care in our clinic, but spiritual care. This man was abducted by the LRA at the age of 12, handed a gun, Go kill people or I'll kill you. That's what happens there. He, was, he didn't want to, obviously. He's just taken, I think it was from a school. He just came in and took the kids from a school. For seven years, he was in the bush. And he worked his way up to the point, again, reluctantly, but he did, to the way up to he received the rank of major in the LRA, and he was one of Joseph Coney's, the leader of the LRA. He was one of the leaders, and he was a treasurer for him. And he got to a point at the age of 19, he reached this level, and he didn't want any more of it. He wanted peace. He didn't want to be dealing with this stuff and living out in the bush with this Hitler. And he went to go supposedly pay for one of the missions because he's a treasurer, and he runs from Sudan all the way down by foot into Uganda and escapes and turns himself in. This day he has this huge scar from a rocket grenade that went right across his hand, a gigantic scar. It's always a, a reminder to him 
what he was doing, but he is the most gentle, amazing man that you'll ever meet. And he's the one that's going to be in our clinic praying for people and standing up. He's also a pastor in the community. He has a church. This man was in that grain storage facility about six months ago when a girl came in to mill her grain, and he's sitting there talking to her, and he talks her down from suicide. Just three weeks ago, he was telling me he was out doing selling with, with the guys selling eggs in the community. Same thing happened. He had to strike up these conversations, and another girl wanted to commit suicide. He prays for her. She gets saved. These people are warriors who are out there. In there, they're just like that salt, just getting into the community and being a blessing to the people. Pray for this man. He is rock solid. This other guy named Joseph. You'll see him in just a second here. Joseph is this short, timid, amazing, spirit-filled man. I've known him for five years. He drives up to Gulu on a midnight bus two times a month for two, two weeks out of the month. He has a church. He has a school for kids. But he's coming and he's learning. And now I've promoted him to help us as a leader. Busy man. But he sacrifices greatly to come and learn the word and now also help in the school. This man, five, just outside of Kampala, five hours from Gulu, he's in this really heavily Muslim community. And so he has a lot of kids who come from this, a lot of orphan kids that come. And he's just bringing them in, loving them in the name of Christ, but also has this church service as well. But he's become just a phenomenal teacher. Now he's being invited and doing circuits of conferences. And just uh, about a year ago, he was at a conference of four different countries who come together for this conference. And they heard he was get, becoming a good teacher, so they gave him a, a session. And there's people from all over four countries, and there was a bishop from the Anglican church from Mombasa, Kenya, and he was standing in there, and Joseph was teaching Genesis 1 through 3. And afterwards, that, that bishop comes up and says, I'm sitting here writing a book about creation, about Genesis 1 through 3, and I have to rewrite the thing because of what you're teaching me. This whole biblical worldview thing is just blowing my mind. And he's going to invite him out to Mombasa to teach all of his other Anglican bishops the word. He even has a Muslim that came in less than a year ago who had a dream of Jesus. In the, in, in, in the dream, the Muslim says, go visit this church. And he comes and he reports to one of Joseph's elders and then they brought him in and started discipling this man. He got saved that day. And it's just crazy. Like the spirit is just moving and these people are coming to people with answers. The pastors have the answers. And I want you to rejoice in that because if it wasn't for you and your support and your prayer, it's not happening. It was very dark. It's a dark, confusing location where we are. And light is coming in. And what we are doing, we feel 100% certain this is the right thing. Just teach the pastors and let them do the work. They do it way better than us missionaries anyways. Pray for our pastor. That was out of the 49, those were two. We have some really just well-grounded guys who are really doing some amazing things out there. I come back to tell you this report that we can rejoice together. I want you to rejoice in what's going on. I want you to pray for what's going on. I just want to glorify God in this. And without him, I mean, we don't put dreams in people's heads. God does. We don't. 
And so God is on the move, and we as a team are a part of it. And so, but for some of you, you're like, I can't see past my own circumstances today. I have dealing with cancer. I'm dealing with the death. I'm dealing with, you name it, dealing with the child that's running away, who's into drugs. I'm dealing with drugs, maybe you're thinking. I can't knock this thing, and that's too shameful to talk about. Well, this is the place we bring it up and you talk about it. There is no judgment, right? This is the place where we make sense of the storm. Jesus is your peace and nothing else. And so if you're going through something today, come to him. Because before his throne is a sea of glass. And before his throne above it is the rainbow of peace. And that's where we find our peace. Amen. Amen. If you don't know Christ, you don't know peace. Because he's the peace that surpasses all understanding. He's our peace. He's the prince of peace. Scripture says. And so maybe we be encouraged to go out to your neighborhood, talk to people, find it, get in the people's lives. Encourage them, help them. You have the light. You have the answer. Don't let fear stop you. Go to your work centers and just be the light. Just do things differently. Be set apart. People will start noticing. And next thing you know, they're coming to you for marriage difficulties. And help them through their storm. If you're passionate about international things like I am, get involved. Help out there too. But do something because you got the power to do it. Because you have the Holy Spirit. So may I pray and conclude this message. And, uh, and maybe you just sing together and worship together and rejoice. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the one that allows... Um, us to be on mission, the one that gives us understanding in a dark storm, I just pray that you would do a work here in Colorado Springs through Rocky Mountain, and I thank you for what Rocky Mountain is doing and helping us even in Uganda. I pray that the Spirit would spur everybody to be outward focused, to know that they are the light and they are they are a carrier of peace because the Holy Spirit resides in them and we have the discerning information through the word of God on how to navigate all life. Lord, I pray over Terebinth Ministries and what we're doing and I just pray that our church here and the one back home and all the churches that are represented in our school and, and all that's going on in the clinic and with the, all the people that come into BAM and try to do business and they find Christ there. I just pray that you would get glory for it and that we could all rejoice together. For those who don't know Christ today, I pray they, they take the step of faith I did 18 years ago to this month, and it changed the trajectory of my life. I found a peace that um, I never had before and a purpose in life that I never had. I didn't even realize I was created in your image until that day. And then I just pray somebody would move forward and say, you know what, today's the day. We love you. We thank you. Prepare our hearts for the worship. In Jesus' name, amen.